1991, I had the chance, uh, right after getting saved and after, uh, as soon as I gave my life to Christ, I knew he called me to use my big mouth to do something besides get in trouble. And I knew he called me to preach. I knew that before I was ever even, ever even sure of my salvation. And God just put the right people in my place. Uh, I had that verse from Jeremiah that said, if you seek him with your whole heart, you find him. And I know that that's true. Doesn't matter what you know, what you don't know, who you know. But if you seek God with your whole heart, you will find him. And so he put me with the right people and had the right people discipling me, taking me under my wing. And so a couple years after getting saved and starting seminary, I had tremendous privilege of going to Nigeria. And uh, I got to go there um, and, uh, uh, and preach the gospel. And that was really the only purpose to go there was just to simply preach the gospel. It wasn't some recreation trip or whatever. It was, it was God gave me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody else. And um, it was a life-changing experience, man. And uh, so what I have here is I have a photo album. How many of y'all know what photo albums are? Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, back in the day, we used to have cameras. Dustin, we had cameras, and they weren't on our phones. All right. And, uh, yeah, I know you're a smart kid. You probably actually have one. You're probably a photographer and all this. But, man, remember we had cameras, and, 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 and even before the digital cameras, what was that stuff that we had to put in in rolls? Do you guys remember? Film. Yeah, so, man, I remember taking this 35-millimeter camera on this trip. I remember taking all these rolls of film. And, and then you guys remember, after we took all the pictures, you know, we couldn't see our pictures, could we? You just sat there and took them and hoped for the best, right? And, uh, and then when you got home, if it was from a big trip, you had a bag of these film canisters, Destiny, and, and you dropped them off at, at you, you guys remember there was a little yellow kiosk, like a little yellow building that, Kodak. tell me what, Kodak, yeah. It was a Kodak building, and we would drop all those canisters off right there, and then we would anxiously wait for them to be processed. Anybody remember that? Yeah, and then you were so excited to see your pictures when you went there and you paid for every single one of your pictures and you started putting, remember they gave you negatives too? And, 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 and you would open it up, man, and you'd sit there in the drive, in the lane looking and you're like, dude, why did I take a picture of somebody's eyebrow? You know, it was like, what is this? Oh, the sky, you know, we had to pay for pictures that we didn't even want, right? But man, you know, there were pictures that, that you treasure. And I do still think there's value in this paper. At my house, man, we've got a number of photo albums, and it's awesome when the kids do come home and when they do kind of like pull the photo albums out and start looking. And um, yesterday, I mean, I've been preparing for this message, but um, as I, I was reading an article yesterday about Nigeria, and um, I posted it on my Facebook page, and, you know, the media covers what they want to cover, but, man, there's just thousands of Christians being massacred by Islam every single day in, in, in Nigeria. Just read the article that I posted. It's legit. Um, it, it's happening over there. But wherever there's that kind of persecution, dude, they are having the kind of revival that we would like to be a part of. But we don't get to experience because we're not getting out of our comfort zone. And so, man, you know, the blood, uh, Tertullian, that was a dude a couple hundred years. Did I pronounce his name right? I think so, Tertullian. A couple hundred years after Christ, he had a saying that still rings true today. It was true right after Christ died, and it's true today that he said that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You cannot kill the church of Jesus Christ. As you kill Christians, the blood just creates more Christians because there's something to live for and something to die for. There's something worth it, man. And so 
That's what I learned when I went to Nigeria. Man, when I started looking through these albums yesterday, and if you ever, you can look at it afterwards, and this guy right here that's uh, a little bit skinnier, that's got black hair, that's me. <laughs> and uh, Ashley's like, wow, you're young. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably almost your age, you know, a little bit older than that. But man, here's, here's what happened though. Man, when you start looking at all these pictures I took, I know you can't see them, but man, I took all kinds of pictures. What an experience. And, and I, took, I got to go to Nigeria, but then after we were done spending weeks in Nigeria or some time there, they gave us some R&R and they sent us to Amsterdam. Anybody ever been to Amsterdam? Yeah. Okay. We were in Amsterdam and Amsterdam was supposed to be the place where we could just relax, where we could chill, we could get back to civilization. Because since I'm like adventurous, in, in, especially an adventurous eater, they sent me to an indigenous village. There's one dude who could speak the language, man. And so they wanted to treat us to some, you know, civilization again. And, and they sent us in Amsterdam. And, and to this day, that's the only place that I've ever had somebody chase me back to my hotel room, telling me they're going to kill me after I've shared the gospel with them, was Amsterdam. So I didn't take that personal or anything. That's, you know, on Jesus. But uh, I was a little about dating in love. But, but the thing is, man, I brought this book home, and I kept trying. I was showing everybody all my pictures. And here's the thing that kept coming up in this photo album. See if you don't recognize it when you do. Look at my photo album if you want to. Is everybody, this was the number one comment. They kept saying, man, those kids in Nigeria have really nice teeth. I mean, all the things they could have said. I'm looking, I'm, like, I'm trying to show them, this is the toy they play with. Dude, look at the living condition. Look at the, how many people came to worship. Look at how they were getting there. Look how, uh, seriously, I don't have pictures of it, but the most spirit-filled worship service I have ever been in was full of about probably 800 people, and 400 of them were sitting on this side, and they were topless. <laughs> topless African ladies because in their culture they weren't wearing it and it just got in the way of feeding their kids and they're beating on gourds and drums and I'm just going oh my goodness this is not how I was trained in seminary Seth <laughs> you better have notes bro I'm just like but but literally it was the full of the Holy Spirit it was awesome man and all the things I don't have pictures of that by the way so all right but I'm just saying man I had so many cool stories so many cool things but every time destiny all they could care about people were like Wow, those African kids have nice teeth. And they're like, why do they have nice teeth? Do they have good dentists? And I'm like, I didn't see a dentist anywhere there. And, and I, I'm thinking, well, maybe they don't eat sweets. Because I gave them granola bars. And, and they were like, ooh, that's so sweet. They don't eat a lot of sugar, okay? But I'm kind of talk, trying to figure out a reason why they have nice teeth. And I'm missing the point God's trying to show me. And, and, I'm, and they're like, well, what about the people in Amsterdam? Do they have nice teeth? And I'm like, I don't know. Let me look. And, and I go and I start looking at the Amsterdam pictures, and you know what I didn't see? Teeth. And it all of a sudden, it started dawning on me. In order for me to see your teeth, what do you have to be doing with your face? Yeah. Here are the people in Amsterdam that have everything that a human thinks would, would, would give them happiness. They have literally, if you've ever, and I promise it was on accident, you can start walking around and be at a McDonald's. Next thing you know, you're in a red light district. And there's prostitutes in the window front, in the window, sitting there. And it's not any kind of a lust thing because you see, your, you see young daughters, you see, man, you see grandmas, you see everybody that you could ever even imagine they're selling their body. And, and, but yet everybody thinks that's going to make them happy. You see drugs being dealt and shared in the streets. This was back in 1991, by the way. Who knows what it's like now? I and mean, we have admitted plenty of places in America like that. But everything you could think of that would make you happy, 
What didn't I see on their face? A smile. But yet in Nigeria, when I got there, and again, I've shared the story before, but I'm going to share this kind of again. Um, <clears throat> when we were going in 1991, and we were heading over there, some of the guys on the trip didn't go. Because this was at the time when Saddam Hussein was in Iran. Was that, he's from Iraq, right? And when he, it, he, he came into Iran, and the U.S., uh, George Bush said, Bush said, hey, you got to get out by this date. And I think it was like January 15th or something like that. Well, that was the day we were coming there. And, and so uh, Bush had said, if you don't get out, we're coming in and we're going to mess it. And that was just right above the continent where we were going. And so a lot of, you know, there was a big meeting before the trip and said, hey, guys, this could happen. This might not happen. Wives, what do you think? Now, we'd only been married a few years, not even that. And I remember my wife, and this is when I knew she was a keeper. I mean, it was too late. It was already a couple years anyways. But um, <laughs> this is when I knew she was a keeper, man, because she said, well, if God wants Eddie to go and he believes he's supposed to go, then let him go. And I know she wasn't doing it for life insurance because I didn't have any. <laughs> Still don't. <laughs> but I'm just like, you know. She just said, let him go if that's what God wants because the safest place for him to be is where God wants him to be. And there were other wives like, no, I'm not letting my husband go. No, you can't go. And I'm just like, cool, I get to go to Nigeria. And so we get there. We get to Nigeria, man, and we're, we fly in. It's a, what an experience, you know, going to like, uh, you know, London or whatever, then back across the Sahara Desert. I mean, dude, I'm a little Pine Hills kid from West Orlando. I'd never even hardly been out of Florida, man. And I'm now in Nigeria, and we get in, and darkest, nastiest airport. The air was thick guys with machine guns and they want to take all my stuff and the guy I'm with said let them have it and I'm like no I can't but I had to walk out one I had to walk out without my bag and saying you know you can have it and then they chased me back out said here here's your bag all they wanted was a bride they wanted money from me I'm just thinking dude where did I just get myself into what did I get myself into and and then we get there and we're in this hotel and they're like all right well we were going to send you guys way up north into a place called Kaduna you know, it means river to crocodiles, but that was the least of our worries. And they're like, we're going to send you up to Kaduna, and it's very Islamic up there. And, but, yes, there's a prevalent church up there. And we want you to go. You got young guys to go up there because we think you guys can handle it. And, but we got to wait to see what happens tonight because that first night was the night that was the due date that Bush had given Saddam Hussein. He said, if you are not out by this time, we're going to take action in 1991. And so what happened we, we just had Nigerian news. We just went to bed. We did our thing. We prayed. We got up the next morning, and here's what they told us. Oh, on the Nigerian news, United States bombed Saddam Hussein, and he's dead. And the war's over. Hey, Jerry, was the war over? No. <laughs> the war's still not over. But anyways, so they're like, oh, you guys can go up to Kaduna. And we're like, right on. Cool. So they pack us up in a little blue bus, and nobody in that bus spoke English. We were the only three that spoke English. And we're going 200 miles north into a place called Gaduna. And as we're getting, going through beautiful territory. Anybody ever been to Nigeria? So it's beautiful. Dude, when I started seeing ant hills, ant hills this high, man, and cool stuff, you know, and uh, all kinds of cool things. And, um, uh, but we get started getting there, and in the distance, we could see fires. And the sun was starting to set, and we could see fires. And, and I was like, hey, what are they doing? You know, trying to communicate with the driver who could kind of barely speak, and we're all trying to, trying to you know, communicate with ourselves, what's going on? And, and, and all the driver could tell me is they're rioting. He just said rioting, rioting. 
and, and, and I'm like, against who? And I heard three words, American, oh, this was later. Actually, as we got in there, I'm hanging my head out the window, looking kind of like out the window, seeing what's going on. There were riots and fires. We get to the hotel, and, 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 and I'm, the driver's like, Americans, Christians, and white people. <laughs> That's who the riot is. We pull up the, to the back of the hotel. The hotel pulls us in, and they're like, what are you doing here? And we're like, we were sent here. <laughs> and, um, and little did we know, yeah, we were sent by God. But they pull us in and they say, did they see you coming? And I'm thinking, yeah, because me, I'm kind of out there looking. I'm going, hey, what's going on, guys? <laughs> they did not tell me this was covert. <laughs> All right. But so I'm looking around. And, and so they're like, get in here. And they put us up in a top story. And they said, they start taking the furniture mattresses. And they put the mattresses over the windows, the barred windows in the glass, and then they put the furniture up against the mattresses, and, and I'm thinking, dude, are we going to dance or what? You know what I mean? The, the, the floor is all empty. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, they're going to throw these bottles that are on fire full of gasoline. I'm like, oh, Molotov cocktails? He's like, yeah, they're going to throw these out your windows, and if you smell the smoke burning, let us know. We'll get you to a different room. And I'm like, dude, I've never been out of the country before, <laughs> but I was a believer. And so were the guys I was with. Doug Tanner and Dave Steele are still pastors this day. And one day we're going to have a reunion in Nigeria. But, <laughs> man, we were there. And that night we were praying. Oh, dude, were we praying. Anybody have, have prayer meetings like that? <laughs> you, you, got, you can't control it. You can't do it. We're praying. And I remember we had talked about Psalm 91. And we prayed Psalm 91 all night long. And then as, as a big bad husband, I'm like, oh, yes. And, Lord, while I'm gone, will you please protect my wife? That was when God hit me on the shoulder and he said, hey, who protects her while you're here? While you're there, I'm like, you do. He said, okay, as long as you just got that. <laughs> but we prayed all night, intermittent sleep. And, and then the next morning they said, we made some deals with the police and you guys can go in these churches. So we couldn't go and have open air crusades like we were going to. But I have pictures in here of, these, of the churches, the two churches that we went to. And I started learning the life. They took me even further in the bush because I eat weird stuff. And they knew that that was what was going to be necessary for the guy who went there. And they took me. And, and I was in this one church and um, had a choir master to speak a little bit of English. And uh, I started learning about the people. The first night, I, I finally get there and I'm letting all this settle in. So the first night, Destiny, I, I'm, I'm going to bed at night. Just my head spinning, as you can imagine. I'm, Seth, Seth, you thought our, what did you, how did you describe our trip from, from the airport to, uh, to Debuchet? A near-death experience? Something like that. Yeah, yeah dude, you should have been on that trip. <laughs> but, yeah, I can see that. But you know on your first trip, you're just like, oh, my goodness, you know, we're going to die. Hazardous. Hazardous. Yeah, you said near-death experience, I think. <laughs> that was your words that day. But, yeah, and, and, and right, so you know when you're fresh, you know how that happens. So, man, I woke up the next morning, and here I am with this family in the church, and they're all welcoming me. They're all kind of looking at me, laughing, smiling, you know, wanting to feel my hair and different stuff. And uh, I asked the kids, hey, can you give me some pepper? And literally, they go outside. There's a big, like, pestle or mortar or pestle mortar, and the kids have this, like, pole, and they're going, Psh. I was like, dude, can't I just, like, grind some pepper? And they give me pepper, and they're talking. And they're, so the pastor says, how'd you sleep? And I said, I didn't sleep that well. That dog was barking last night. He said, oh, that's a good thing. And I'm thinking, why? He said, because he was barking and chasing away the people that wanted to kill you. And I was like, that is a good thing. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here thinking, what, Lord, I got closer to God than I've ever been in my life, man. But as I started learning their stories, 
I didn't know anything about Islam at the time, and that's not what I'm preaching on today, but, but it, it is a horrible religion, and it is not the same God as us. It is straight from the pit of hell. And if you are a prominent male, it's a good gig, but for everyone else, it's not. I started asking, well, what about, you know, everything they said, it was Islam or Muslim, Muslim. You know, they were telling me that was the cause of everything that was, you know, going on bad to the Christians. And, and, and they started explaining to me, you know, what was going on in all of that. And, um, and, and they said, well, look at this house and this one right here. And they said that Islamic people owned all of the gas refineries and would freely give anybody all the gasoline they wanted as long as they promised to use some of it to burn the Christian stuff. The people that I had been with a year prior had had their entire house burned, all their stuff burned, and yet they were in danger with us Americans coming, but they welcomed us. I had never felt more like a brother or sister in Christ, more welcomed anywhere, because they didn't care about their stuff. And, and, and regularly, their things were being burned. Regularly, people were getting killed. Because I will tell you that the goal of Islam is Sharia law, and the goal is you either convert or you die. There is an in-between period if you want to pay some taxes and stay a Christian, but when you run out of money, you're an enemy, and you die. This was back in 1991. I didn't know anything about it. This was long before the Muslim Brotherhood took over our government and a lot of things in that or the way we publicize things. But in this, man, I learned and I saw Christians that had had all their stuff stripped from them. I asked them, are you going to be in danger because of us? And, and, and they're like, oh, don't worry about that. I said, no, no, we're preaching, man. Are, are you going to be in danger because we're preaching in your churches? They were just rioting over white people, Americans, and Christians. Are you going to be in danger? They said, yeah, but don't worry about that. They said, we've got God, <laughs> and he takes care of us. And here I am, a brand-new kind of Christian coming out of America. We don't think that way, do we? We don't think anything like that. But that's where revival. You know why I saw smiles on those people's faces? Because all they had was Christ. There was nothing getting in the way between them and Christ. You know why I didn't see smiles in Amsterdam? Because they had everything in the world getting between them and Christ. Think about if you got home and something was broke, how that would ruin your day right now. All your favorite possessions, they were gone, it'd ruin your day right now. Guess what? They don't have any, and that's kind of where we're at in Haiti. They get a hurricane, dude. They don't worry about their drywall. You know why? Why, Matt? Why aren't they worried about their drywall? They don't have any. They go pick up tin, enough tin to put back on their roof, and it's like, all right, I'm good, just like I was. We have so much junk that gets in our way between us and Christ. And that's why we don't see revival. We've got to manufacture revival. Here's our idea of revival, having a great concert where, ooh, I felt the spirit, or maybe that was emotions. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not saying it wasn't. You know, revival is, is when you see people who have been persecuted would do anything for you because they're so full of the spirit of God. Man, and, and, and other people see that they would not only die for Christ, but they would live for Christ. It's something worth having. It's, it's worth something. And so today, when we look at the book of Acts, we have a way of sometimes romanticizing the book of Acts and thinking it was all these worship services where everybody's speaking in tongues, everybody's getting healed, everybody's having all these sign miracles, and it did happen, and it can happen, and it does happen. But... That's not what Acts is about. 
What Acts is about is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been left with the same job, one job to make disciples. That's it. And we're trying to find our happiness in everything else. If we would just simply make disciples, I think we would see revival. If you don't see it in your country and in your state, you would see it in yourself. Who was the famous man? I can't remember. It was a British revivalist back in one of the Great Awakenings. Uh, no, hang on. I'll tell you a story. What he said was, he said, man, you want to see revival? He said, draw a circle around yourself. He said, draw a circle around yourself in the dirt. And when you have revival in that circle, you're going to see revival. And that's what it's about. But man, we want to find a way to kind of hang on to our comfort zone. Hang on to what we think we need. And then let God have the rest. And oh, it's all yours, God. Accept this. <laughs> and that's what we're going to see. Man, I'm not telling you you got to go be Apostle Paul. But I'm saying, man, I just want to show you. This is where God, as I was studying this passage of Scripture, God just started asking me questions from this passage of Scripture. And they're the same questions I'm going to ask you. So please accept this in a spirit of love because he has hit me with these questions. And these questions are going to be in my life, my, in my life, my whole life. And I want you to see these here. So as we go through these few passages, I want you to see this. So it all starts since you've been saved by grace. <laughs> How many of y'all been saved by grace? Yeah. You know what grace is? Grace is the desire and ability to do God's will. Who gave that to you? Did you muster it up in your own courage, in your own strength, in your own logic? Hey, Dustin, you're a pretty smart guy, man. Did you, did you figure it all out? If you have, then teach us, please. Because I had to get it from God. Where'd you get it from? It's a free gift. He gives you the desire and the ability to surrender yourself to him, not anything you've done on your own. And so you've been saved because he chose you, because he picked you. And I don't know, I can't explain all of that, but I know that that's how I got saved. And that's how you got saved. So since we've been saved so freely, what have we been saved from? Hell, yeah, from sin, from hell. The wages of, of, of sin is death, eternal death being separate. We've been saved from that. And how long have we been saved for, Nina? Oh, you've been saved 35 years. How long are you going to be saved? Forever. Forever. And so since we've been saved by grace, man, will you live in love? And love, there's different loves in the Greek language, as you probably have studied in some of your Bible studies. There's a storge love that is, is a natural love that a mom has for a child. How many of y'all got mama bear love? <laughs> you, know what you know what I'm talking about. You be this mom bear person. Well, somebody starts picking on your young and what are you going to do? <laughs> Even though they can take care of themselves, Christine, right? not as good as you can. That's it. Mama bear, that's storge love, a natural love. There's, there's eros love, which is, we get the word erotic from it. It's not even in scripture, and rightly so, because it's a you love. It's a me love. It's, it, we get the word erotic, it's, it's, it's me. If it benefits me, I'm good with it. Now, I'm not saying it ain't in the world, but I'm saying it ain't in the Bible. So there's eros love. But then there's a phileo love, which is the best non-saved people can do. It's a, it's a brotherly love, Philadelphia. It's a us love. I love, I, love, I love Seth, and Seth loves me as long as we got something to offer each other. It's an us love. But if you don't have anything to offer me anymore, bro, if that's all I got is an us love, I'm going to go find another us love. I'm going I'm to switch over to Matthew here and then destiny until you can offer me something again. It's an us love. And that is in Scripture, and we are supposed to have that love for each other. But the highest love we're supposed to all have is agape love. And agape love is when it says God is love. He's agape love. That's a you love. I love you, Vicky, because God gave me the desire to love you regardless. That's the, that's the agape love. It's not a me love and us love. It's a you love. I love you. 
God so loved the world because they're worth it? <laughs> How many of y'all were worth it? How many of y'all think God got a good deal when he gave himself for you? <laughs> How many of y'all think you got a good deal? <laughs> yeah. God so loved, loved, he agapeed the world, man. It's a you love. I love you. And God loves you perfectly, so can he ever love you anymore, Jim? Can he ever love you any less? Even when you do the things that you, you no, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, he doesn't love you any less. It's an agape love. And so if you have been saved by grace so freely for this little, you know, and you've got such a short time from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home, will you live in that short period of time in love? And that love is not a love for yourself. It's not a love for your stuff. It's not a love for what you can get. It's a love for others. Because what did we learn when they asked Jesus about the, two great, the greatest commandment? What did he say? The first one was love the what? Lord, your God with everything. And then he said, and if you love him, it'll cause you to what? Love others. You know, you, John even said, you know you love God when you love others. If you say you don't love others, you don't love God. I don't care what theology you got. If you love God, he's going to cause you to love others. And then you get the residual from it. So it's all about this process of sanctification is loving God and having him give us a love for others. But where do you draw the line? I know he brought me some conviction on where I drew the line in looking at the Apostle Paul here. So let's take a look at this. You know, they uh, came back from uh, after the Jerusalem Council and they're back in their home church in Antioch. Last week, what we studied was. Paul and Barnabas, Paul got the idea, let's go visit the churches we used to, that we started and make sure they're okay. And Barnabas wanted to bring along John Mark, and Paul's like, nope. We talked about how, how uh, conflict is supposed to make us more like Christ last week. And so Barnabas and, uh, took off with Mark over on the island of Cyprus. Paul now gets Silas, and they start going straight up a different way. They're going straight up, and then they're going to curve back over backwards into Turkey. And so that's where we're at in this story right now. Paul and them are, it's, it's we call it the second missionary journey. So what we're going to see is some questions in here or some things they did. And they're questions I'd like to ask you. One, for the cause of Christ, no other reason, but for the cause of Christ, would you? Everybody said, would I? Say, would I? Would I go back to a place where they tried to kill me? <coughs> would you repeat that again? I put eyes in there. All right, for the cause of Christ, would I? Go back to a place where they tried to kill me. All right. And again, I'm seeing shaking your heads. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. But we can learn a lot about ourselves in that way. And I'm not here to bring condemnation or conviction to you. But I want you to see why maybe we don't see the revival that we saw in the book of Acts. And that we don't see during the great awakenings. D.L. Moody didn't like do Christianity and preach on his side job. He, that was life for him. Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die is every is gain, it's better. But for me to live as Christ, everything I do is about Christ. Any of the people that God has used mightily, man, their whole life was Christ. And there drew no lines. So here it is for the cause of Christ. Would I go back to a place where they tried to kill me? No. Guess what I've just done? I've drawn a line. God, I'll do everything for you. And I worship songs. I worship you. I love you. I'll do whatever you want except that. That's what we just said. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. How bad do you want to see revival? Or are you just content? All right, that's good. I'm good right here. And if that's where God's got you, that's it. That's all right. That's where God's got you. But if you want more and you're trying to get more, I'm trying to show you how Paul got more by erasing those lines. 
And that's going to take grace. That's going to take faith to erase those lines. Was Paul worried about dying? Ellie, why wasn't he worried about dying? He knew where he was going. And, and I guarantee you nobody got to heaven and said, God, you know, this place isn't all as cracked up to be. Let me go back to earth. You think anybody said that? No. In fact, Paul, he was like, all right, guys, I've kind of seen heaven. You know, uh, I'm being liberal on that, right, Seth? He saw heaven. He's like, I've been there, and I'm back here. I would really right now love to be in heaven right now, but God has me here. Because you guys must need me. <laughs> That's what he's saying to his congregation. You guys must need me. So hurry up and learn what you're supposed to learn so I can go be in heaven again. That was Paul's life. And again, I know this is hard. This is where God's hitting me in this. Because that was the first question. For the cause of Christ, would I go back to a place where they tried to kill me? I'd have to say probably yes, I would. Thinking, oh, I ain't the sharpest marble in the box, all right? <laughs> I'd probably go back thinking I'm going to get different results or whatever. But... And I think if God wanted you to go back, he'd give you the grace to do that, that you don't need right now. But right now, I want you to see where maybe you draw a line and where when we say, God, I'll do anything for you. I want us to know where the accept is. Watch this in Paul in this verse. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. All right. So there, he, in his first missionary journey, he went to Iconium. All right. In the west, uh, northwest. And what happened at the first place he came to preach? What did they do? They kicked him out. They kicked him out, said, get out of here, you know. And then the second place he went to preach, uh, I think was Derby or Leicester, one of those two. And what they do there? They threatened to kill him. And then in the last place that he went, uh, where, they said, where was it that uh, you preached on where they raised, uh, they raised the person up and they were worshiping, where they were worshiping him? Was that Derby or Leicester? Okay, so one place they, they threatened to kill or they kicked him out. Next place they threatened to kill him. And the next place they thought they did kill him. And one minute when Seth was preaching on a couple, three weeks ago, um, they were worshiping him. He said, no, don't worship me. And then the very next week when I was preaching on it, they thought they killed him, stoned him. And they thought he's dead. Guess where he's going back? He's going back. Why is he going back? Is he a glutton for punishment? No, God told him. And there was a purpose for going back. When he went back, he was going back so that he could strengthen the churches. Can you imagine how much courage that put in the church that's actually there under persecution when they saw Paul coming back after his life had been endangered? They thought they killed him. How much encouragement that brought? Man, dude, God's an awesome God. That brought tons of encouragement to them. So Paul came back to Derby and to Leicester. Would you, if God called you to, is there some situation that you have been in? I'm not talking about being addicted to drugs. I'm just talking about an uncomfortable situation. Maybe a confrontation with somebody that you need to forgive. I don't know. And by the way, that just came out from the Holy Spirit. That ain't me. So if the shoe fits, wear it. But is there something where, where you would draw the line? Would you go back for the cause of Christ? Would you go back to a place where they tried to kill you? And again, I don't necessarily want you to answer that. To me, I want you to answer that to God. You know? But it doesn't end right here. This was nothing for Paul to go up into this area. So look at the next question that God hit me with on this. For the cross of Christ, would I go with someone they tried to kill? <laughs> you know? If, you came, if I came back and I said, dude, hey, uh, how many of y'all want to go to Nigeria with me? Anybody want to go to Nigeria with me right now? Linda, think we can talk to your husband and let you go to Nigeria with me? You know? Yeah. I'm here. You're thinking, No. Yeah, uh, and, and so Mike, let's go to Nigeria, bro. I know all the hot spots. When I say hot, I mean hot, brother. <laughs> Molotov cocktails, everything, riots, burning. 
But look at this. For the cause of Christ, would you go with someone they tried to kill? But listen to this. How about this further? All you moms and grandmoms, grandpas, or would you allow your child to go? All right. Can I take, oh, come on, man. You trust me, right? Yeah. <laughs> Only a little. Can I take Salma and Jules and Sophie to Nigeria with me? Watch this. Eunice and uh, uh, Timothy's mom. Watch what happens here in, in this. So we saw Paul also came, came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there, a young man, they say, was in his late teens, early 20s, named Timothy. And you know Timothy ended up being a pastor, I, I think, at Ephesus or Galatia, one of those two. Maybe it was Galatia. And, uh, but he insurmountable in the New Testament. There was a disciple there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman, that's important, we'll remember later, um, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and that's important. We'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about a painful procedure. But in this particular thing, all right, so there's this young guy, Timothy, that evidently got led to the Lord on the last missionary journey. And by the way, this is now five years later. Acts, Acts looks like it all happens immediately. But five years later, now Paul's coming back and seeing this guy, Timothy, who's been walking with the Lord. And it says, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. In other words, everybody loved Timothy. He was the favorite son. He was an inspiration to the church. All right. And so this guy who had been trying to be, they tried to kill, is coming back. But read this with me. Help me out. Read it. So if you're Timothy's grandma or his mom, what are you saying? What are you saying here? Be honest with me. In your spirit, what are you saying right now? No. But do you know without them going, the gospel would have never come to us? I mean, I don't know. They wouldn't have, but that's how it got to us. Because somebody had enough faith to do this. They didn't draw any lines for God. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help us realize where our lines are, where God showed me my lines were. And when we like, we think in our mind, I'll do whatever you want, God. But will we? Would you let your kid go to someplace? Linda, would you let your kid go someplace dangerous? You let your husband. Yeah. We can't even tell you where Emily's going. We're not allowed. They've been trained how to get in and how to go in because, because they're not allowed to go there. But for the cause of the gospel, because these people need to hear about Christ, that's where she's going. No greater honor in Christianity. When you read the New Testament in context, there's no greater honor than to suffer for Christ. But we are creating a theology, especially these days, where suffering has no part of it. And we're selling ourselves short. We're missing some of the greatest things there is. To identify in the power of his resurrection, we've got to also experience what, Seth? His suffering. Yeah, it don't come one or the other in all of that. So look, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So you're the mama. Hey, you're going to let Keone go to Nigeria with me? <laughs> Can anybody go to Nigeria? How about Haiti? Man, you'll let him go to Haiti. You guys went to Haiti with me. A lot of people thought that was crazy. So again, I'm not saying everybody's supposed to go do this, but what we're supposed to do is be willing to. If, we're, if we say, God, you have it all, then we've got to challenge that statement in our lives, don't we? Does God really have it all? Doesn't it feel better before y'all came here thinking, dude, my life is fully surrendered to Christ? And now you're looking like, crap, man, I got nothing to <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do, guys. I just want you to know as I'm studying this scripture, 
as I'm studying myself. God's pushing my buttons. He's pushing my limits. We all want to see revival, but are we willing to do what it takes to get it? And the answer is no, because then that's why we don't have it. And we're trying to create it right now. And Satan's digging that. So Paul wanted Timothy to come. So number one, would you, would you go back to a place where somebody, for the cause of Christ, would you go back to a place where they tried to kill you? Number two, would you go with somebody they tried to kill? Or send your kid with somebody they tried to kill? And again, these are some real lines. We got answers. There are questions we got to answer. Look at this next one, all right? For the cause of Christ, <laughs> would you go through an extremely painful procedure? Anybody know where I'm going with this? <laughs> would you go through an extremely painful procedure as a, 20, as a young man, 20-something, in order to be able to share the gospel with more people? <laughs> and I'm just going to throw this out to you right now. Because I, I, testimony after testimony after testimony of people who God has used through suffering. I cannot tell you, you don't want to suffer, then don't suffer. And miss all the benefits of that suffering. If that's not where you're at. I know people who have taken their illnesses. They, get, they have taken their shortcomings. They have taken it and they've used it for Christ. I'm, tell, I'm, not, I'm not getting into where it all comes from there, but man, people have gloried in the fact that they've had illness. They've had things. I've had people with cancer, full-blown cancer, that, that this is going to bring my family to Christ and I'm going to walk through this for my family to come to Christ. Can't tell you how many times I've had people in the hospital, godly, spiritual people, go in the hospital and they're like, God knew this is where he needed to put me today. I'm in the hospital, and this is where, man, I'm a lampstand, and God's just moving the lampstand. And this hospital must need Christ. God's moving this lampstand in this nursing home. I don't want to be in this nursing home. And they figure out this is where God wants them, and their life is fulfilled. Because they start blooming wherever they were planted. Realizing God's got them there for a purpose. Is there any place you're not willing to go for Christ? No, nope, you can do anything, but you can't attack my body. Hey, what? The whole Job thing, man. <laughs> God just let Job wide open, right? And who got the glory out of all that? Job said, man, I came in this world naked. I'm going to leave him naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you give your life to Christ, who owns it? Him. Can he not do whatever he wants to do with you? For his glory and for your good? And can he not still perfectly love you in the midst of suffering? Can you not understand his love more through suffering? If you don't want to suffer, don't suffer. You're going to miss the benefits of it. That's our answer all the time. We got some problem. Take it away. Instead of letting God accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our suffering. For the cause of Christ, would you go through an extremely painful procedure to be able to share the gospel with more people? <laughs> Listen to this. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Okay? So, Timothy, you come. Now, your mom and your grandma, they were Jews and they were saved. So, legally, you're a Jew, okay? But your dad was Greek. And so, according to Greek law, you know, you really weren't. But according to Jewish law, you're, you're a Jew. And, and guess what, Timothy? You weren't circumcised. Well, wait, I thought we dealt with that at the Jerusalem Council. No, what we dealt with was the non-Jews didn't have to become circumcised. You know, but according to Jewish law, he's a, he's a Jew. Did he have to get circumcised? Did he have to? Was he, is this talking about salvation? Did he have to get circumcised to be saved? No. Does anybody have to be circumcised to be saved? No. <laughs> this isn't salvation. What Paul's saying, Timothy, I want to circumcise you so that you'll have a more effective ministry. 
Because we're going to be still going into the synagogues. We're going to still be talking to the Jews. We're going to still be going here. And, and these guys who don't know Christ, if they find out you're uncircumcised, and they'll probably know word travels quick, they're going to find out, and they won't even let us in the synagogue. So, Timothy, I know it's going to be painful. I'm an expert. I'll do it myself. <laughs> Look what it says. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him. <laughs> yeah, Paul's like, I'll do it myself. <laughs> we, we can just handle it right here, you know. How many of you guys are cringing right now? <laughs> and, and that's not what God's asking you to do. But look what he said. Paul wanted to accompany him. And he took Timothy. He took him and circumcised him because he knew the Jews were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So in order to have a more effective witness, would you go through a painful procedure? Or will you be crying like a baby for God to take the pain and suffering away from you? If God wants to use that for his glory. And again, I'm not saying... It's a great thing when God takes pain and suffering. Have you taken the pain and suffering that you have experienced in your life and used it for God's glory? It's evident. Peter and Paul, what did they say when they were getting beat? Seth, you're my quote, Bible quote, man. You got it. Remember when they were getting beat? What were they talking? How were they doing it? You don't have to give me a quote. Give me a Seth quote. You remember the story? Uh, yeah, Christ was beaten, and so I, I should be beaten as well. Yeah, it's my privilege to be beaten for Christ. Dude, is that the way we think today? <laughs> no, I'm getting a lawyer, and you're in trouble. <laughs> we don't see revival because we miss the point of so much of what goes on. So again, going back, going back to that, uh, and uh, would you go through an extremely painful procedure to be able to share the gospel with other people? Would you be willing to be sick to be in a hospital? Would you view it from God's perspective? Would you, would you be, would, you know, or would, or would something goes wrong in your life? Are you more concerned with what's wrong in your life than what God's trying to accomplish in this? I guess is a good way to put it. These are questions that we got to kind of answer in all of this. So nevertheless, uh, Paul did circumcise Timothy. Man, we talk all the time here. Our purpose for being here is to see life from what? So that we can help others do what? See it from God's perspective. That's everything. And we talk about driftwood. Man, nobody wants a nominal two by four. You don't go to like Home Depot and buy a two by four and stick it on your mantle or on your wall. It's just not that attractive. But dude, how many of y'all have seen an awesome piece of driftwood? And it got that way because the wind and the water and the waves tried to destroy it. But it just made it more beautiful. And that's what Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29 tell us. All of this is for our good and his glory. It makes us look more like him. The last one, and this is it. For the cause of Christ, would you deliver a message that has caused others to be killed? So let me, I can answer this for you. I can let you answer it yourself right now. And again, I'm not doing anything to you that God didn't do to me in preparation and that he's not doing right now. And I don't want an outward answer right now. But how many times did you deliver that message this week? That's all I'm asking. How many times did you deliver this message today? Is it because there's nobody to deliver this message to? You can answer that one. There's nobody in the world. Everybody knows the gospel. Everybody, nobody needs that message delivered to them anymore. No, that's not true. So would you deliver a message that's caused others to be killed? And, and in reality, are you worried about being killed here in Jensen Beach, Florida, Stewart, Florida, or Fort Pierce for sharing the gospel? No, we're not. But what are we worried about being killed? 
our, our, our friendships, our reputations, our people liking us. We're worried about a lot of other things. It's just not appropriate. <laughs> I don't want to offend them. I don't want to. He said the gospel is offensive. You've got one job from the time you're born again to the time he brings you home, and that's to be an ambassador for him. An ambassador represents their kingdom and, 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 and tells other people how to be in that kingdom if that's part of the kingdom's plan. And that is our kingdom's plan. So for the cause of Christ, would you deliver a message that's caused others to be killed? They did. Look what it says. As they went on their way through the cities, they what? <laughs> they delivered. And what they delivered uh, them for observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That was the Jerusalem council. And the end of the Jerusalem council were four things that they said, okay, hey, uh, Gentiles, don't do these things or do these things so you don't offend the Jews. But the gist of the Jerusalem council, you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, Christ or Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what they delivered, that message. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And they delivered it over. And, and were some people killed for that message? Yes. Were people persecuted for that message? Were they burned at stakes for that message? Were they fed to lions at, for that message? I haven't had the privilege of going to Israel. God hasn't hooked me up with that. He keeps sending me places that are warm, like Haiti and Jamaica and Trinidad. But I understand the Colosseum, like in Rome or wherever, Somebody told me once, Jim, uh, Jim Gallagher at Calvary Chapel, he goes a lot. He said the Colosseum there, you know, where they fed people to the lions. He said they were told that that's not dirt. That's the ashes of martyrs. <laughs> it's the ashes of how many people were killed in all of that. So I don't, I'm not telling you you got to go out and, you know, run in front of a car and say, oh, did it for Christ. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I just want us to think about these questions and figure out where we draw the line. And then, and then we wonder, you know, how much do we want revival? You know, one of the most awesome things you could do is go back and even Google up times when there were great awakenings and there were revivals in the world. And go back and read the guys who God used. Read their biographies. Read their stories. And you get a sense of what they sold out to. What... What they, D.L. Moody, dumpy old shoe salesman, couldn't even speak English, ran away from his Sunday school teacher because he knew he was going to share the gospel and he'd have to give his life to Christ, and he did. And he preached and was fairly successful, but one day he was on the front row and the story goes that he heard a couple of ladies, older ladies saying, it's yet to be seen what can be done through one man who wholly surrenders his life to Christ. And the Holy Spirit grabbed him and said, he said, I want to be that man. And at that point, he wanted to wholly surrender his life to Christ. And God used him and Spurgeon at the same time to go rock two continents. Were they perfect? No. Dale Moody, Spurgeon smoked. One time they were getting ready to get up on stage and speak. And Moody looks at him in a pious way and says, how can you go and, and, and smoke those in and then go up and preach the Lord's gospel after you've <laughs> desecrated the temple of the Holy Spirit? And Dale Moody, or Spurgeon looks back at Moody and says, how can you, like, be obese and, and, and overeat and go preach the gospel? And they said, the truce, let's just preach the gospel. And they did. God can use anybody who wholly, will wholly surrender themselves to him. And the whole purpose of the day when he gave it to me is to show me where do I draw the line. We all draw the line somewhere. But wouldn't it be awesome if what the Holy Spirit did today was give us the courage, the faith to just draw that line a little further over? And wouldn't it be really awesome if we had no line? 
if we really were just totally sold out, I guarantee you do that, you will have revival, whether anybody else has it around you. One of the great revivalists said, light yourself on fire and people are going to come and watch you burn. And they get too close, man, they're going to burn too. Man, the world needs some of those. They went on their way through the season, they taught all this stuff. So, again, for the cause of Christ, would you let God use you any way he wants? What lines has he revealed to you today that you've drawn? He can have me, anything he wants, except I'm not going there. I'm not doing this. I'm not eating this. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, 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 this is not what I'm going to do. This is as far as I go. And I want to say, if you know where your line is and you say, this is as far as I'm going to go, guess what? That's as far as you're going to go. When you draw the line, when God gives you a line and you won't cross over, that's as far as you're going to go until you cross that line again. And God's just got a long way for you to go. He's got so many awesome things for you to experience. So ask for faith to cross those lines. Again, knowing that the blood of martyrs has always been the seed of the church. You can't kill the church. China. Anybody see the picture the other day? Maybe they don't, it's not in the paper you were in. Showing churches being burned in China. Because they allowed a little bit of Christianity in, but it grew, and now they can't contain it. <laughs> There's so much revival in China. Iraq, Iran, all of where Islam is, there's revival going on because people have something to live for and to die for. And that shows people what it's worth. Maybe we need to show people what it's worth. So today, you're sitting here and you're like, dude, I'll never do that. And, I, and you don't know that when you do die, you're going to heaven. Maybe you've never settled that with God. You realize you're a sinner? You know, I want you to know that what he said is there's eternal penalties for sin, and we've all sinned, but Christ died on a cross to pay for those sins. And if he gives you the desire and ability to surrender yourself to him, what he did on the cross covers your life, and it covers it forever. All you do is surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him, and you have eternal life. If you've not done that, man, I want to encourage you to do that. How many of y'all have done it and would say that that's the most awesome thing you've ever done? Yeah. Who here would say, I did it, and it was horrible. I wish I never had. Now I'm stuck with God. Anybody? No. But the devil would like you to think that way. So if you've got the desire and ability to surrender yourself to him, go for it, man. It's the most awesome thing you'll ever experience. But if you have done that, and he's asking you for some more surrender, in the same way, it's going to be the most awesome experience you've ever had. And I want to encourage you to do that. Father, thank you for loving us. Father, thank you for sharing this message with me. Father, um, I pray that you would continue to show me the lines that I've drawn. When I lift my arms up and I worship you and tell you that it's all yours, that I love only you, that I worship you, and, and yet inside I still got a lot of love for the flesh. Um, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would show each of us how we're supposed to apply these principles to our lives today. And I pray that each of us would grow in faith and grow in love with you more so we could grow in love with each other more. I pray for revival. I pray that more people would be saved before Jesus comes back. I pray you would use us to do that. So I pray that that revival would start in us. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.